I chose verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. And without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Okay, so, so last week, um, we've been um, studying the Apostle Paul, and um, um, it's, it's, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again today, and it, it, it's, it's a little bit overambitious for me to think that I could take on this character and, and g- figure out what, you know, he's the, probably the greatest theologian, um, the greatest church planter the church has ever known, and to try to cover a series on the Apostle Paul in 10 weeks is impossible. Today we're going to look at um, several different passages, about five, and I want to consider, you know, as we talk about the Apostle Paul and the, and the kinds of things, um, last time we talked about his suffering and, and uh, the fact that he just never quit. And, you know, he never, in spite of the difficult things he faced, he never turned the back, his back on the Lord. And, and it shows us his passion and, and his persistence. So I, I, my big question that I'm going to try and work through today is, what is it that motivated this guy? What motivated the Apostle Paul? What fired him up? What caused that? And, and I, when I think about that, I, I, I want to, you know, I'm a little bit of a, a nerd. I, I, I met with somebody recently, and I used the word nerd. And he said, no, 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 use the word is geek. So I don't know if I'm a nerd or a geek. I'm probably both. Um, and so uh, nerds and geeks, they like to put things on scales. And so I sometimes want to look at myself and say, on, in terms of my passion for the Lord on a 1 to 10, you know, my commitment to Jesus, you know, ask yourself that question. Where would you rate yourself? Now, not you, not, you know... Um, some summer in college when you were on fire for the Lord or right after you discovered salvation and you were off. Today, how would you rate your passion for Jesus? I know for me, that number has some upward possibilities. (laughs) Okay? It is. So I just want to stop and start with prayer. Lord, there is something that is accomplished only by your word, not by preachers, not by great preaching, not by media, not by terrible preaching, not by anything other than the supernatural power of your word. The only thing that you honor higher than your name is your word. And God, um, we recognize that there are some things that only the Holy Spirit can, can stir up and motivate in us. And Lord, there are times in our lives where we try to become motivated, you know, in our flesh. We get motivated by other people. We, we set these goals. We, we, we maybe try to motivate, our, motivate ourselves with positive self-talk. But Lord, every one of those things, we've all seen it, every one of those things eventually runs out of gas. It seems like the Apostle Paul never ran out of gas. Would you, Lord, by your grace, allow us to somehow plug into that, Lord? Plug into you, and build a passion for us and for your, your wonderful son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at, in Scripture, several things that fired up the Apostle Paul. And, um, um, you know, I, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And although this is not part of our text, there's a verse there that I love so much, verse 17. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's not part of today's message, but it was too good just to ignore. So, you know, we tossed that in. Just, I, I, that's, that's, that's good news. So, okay, so back to our topic. Here's, here's the first passage about what motivated Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. And if you didn't bring your Bible, it's on the wall. I got a habit of doing that for you. But I encourage you to bring your Bible because here's, and a pen. Not because you're going to hear wonderful things from me, but as you spend time in God's word, he's going to speak to you. 
and you can circle something and put a note, footnote in the margins, and it will make a difference if you just allow the Lord to do that through you. So I encourage you to bring a Bible. But in case you didn't have it, I, brought, I put them up on the wall too. Um, starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Now, I haven't got very far, and I know I'm already stopping and interrupting myself, but you know, there's a motivator, the fear of the Lord. And I, I um, when I look at that, Sometimes, you know, I think about what a lot of preachers, how they've defined it, and I do too. But I realize that God's not joking. God is not kidding around. And I know when I've said those words to you, some of you are going, hey, Terry, that's, you know, that kind of makes me afraid. I don't mean to make you afraid, but um, yes, that is properly translated as reverence and awe, that fear of the Lord. But it also properly connotes a fear about what the consequences will be if I just decide to thumb my nose at God and God's ways. There is a consequence to that as well. And so that kind of fear is part of what that scripture says. And for that, it's a little bit good for me. It says, you know, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others knowing that there's this day, that there's this real accounting coming someday. And even the most happy-go-lucky person here is going to face that day. And, and it's really not to be trifled with. I, I, I think of this verse, and this is from my immature way. I call it the Halloween verse, only because of the address. Hebrews 10.31, you get that? 10.31? It is it, a fearful thing to be found in the hands of the living God. What does that mean exactly? It means that God is serious. He's really serious. He loves us like crazy, but he's really, really not to be trifled with. He says, but what we are, what we are is known to God. Who we are is known to God. I might be able to fool you, <laughs> like not fool God. I'm not trying to fool you, by the way. Uh, you see me, you know. Okay, who we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your own conscience. Be honest with yourself is what he's saying there. Continue verse 12. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. There were some people in Corinth who were boasting about you know, things that had an outward appearance, and it makes you wonder, okay, what is it that, would a, that Christians boast about? Outward appearances that make us boast. I mean, <laughs> I mean maybe it's how big the churches we go to or, you know, the number of people that come and so forth. And listen, I've pastored in a large church with lots of people and um, helped lead and had all this, the trappings of big successful ministry and lots of things going on and events all the time. And that's, that's not, I'm not down on that. I'm not, I'm not down on that because this church isn't 3,000. I believe this is what the Lord called us to be, and I feel good about this place. And, and I, but, but here's the thing. People were boasting about things that were outward in appearance. And, you know, when I think about that, the number of people who go to a church is not a test of the church's validity. It, it really isn't. It's, you know, even Jesus had people walking away from his ministry. At time. In fact, I think if nobody is in a church, that's not a good sign. Probably is bad. But if everybody's there, that's not necessarily a good sign either. You know, you might be focused on how many people or the, I've heard pride in the facilities and these wonderful programs. And, you know, none of those are the things that commend a church. That's not what scripture says. And Paul says they boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. 
Not about what really matters, the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, and that word beside ourselves kind of like means we're going crazy, right? Okay, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. Okay, that makes me scratch my head. You're going crazy for God, but you're going to be normal for me. What's that mean exactly? Okay, well, here's another example of this in Acts 26. Paul is, um, he's defending his ministry before a guy named Festus. And Festus has the authority to put him to death. So he's kind of having an argument with this guy. Okay, verse 24. And he was saying these things in his defense. Festus, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You have learned so much stuff now. You're stupid. (laughs) That's his reaction. Don't get you. You're nuts. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. You know, isn't it true that God sometimes calls us to do things that people who don't get it don't get it? They, they, don't, they just don't get it. It's not, there's nothing wrong. There's not something that's wrong with them. If they don't get it, they just don't get it, right? Okay, so, I mean, I mean okay, so he says, for if we are beside ourselves, if, if we appear to be crazy, it's because we're doing something for God that you just don't get it. And if you know, we're in our right minds, that's because you need to understand this. That's basically what he's saying. And I understand that you know, in my ministry, there's going to be times where I'm doing things and I'm going to face some opposition. And you, you, know, you, you show your faith at work or wherever you happen to be during the day, and you're going to face some opposition. You get that, right? Paul, you, know, you, you might face it some in your family, and you, know, you might face it some you know, in your ministry. But Paul, he got, got it. It was how much he got was shocking. I mean, it just was crazy. And sometimes I read these things that were happening to him, and I go, really? You're going to stone the You Really? And I'm thinking I need one of those time travel telephone booths and a two-by-four to get upside my man Paul and do, help me, you know, like I'm some, some sort of he-man. <laughs> and I'm going to do something. You know, it's like, I'm thinking, are you crazy? This is the Apostle Paul. And, and how does this guy keep going? How does he keep going? finally we're there verse 14 for the love of christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died how do you do it paul the love of christ controls us that word control suneco literally means to hold together and the um the picture there is um if you're a you know if you're a firefighter you know what this is um but there's something called a suicide nozzle it's uh, this, like this big nozzle you screw on the end of the hose. I have a little itty-bitty one that's this long at home, and it takes my hose pressure and it gives me a long stream, and I can squirt stuff on the driveway with it pretty good. Because firefighters know they got a bigger hose, and a suicide nozzle is one piece, and they call it a suicide nozzle when there's no, no, when there's no shutoff valve, and they go off to a big, long point. You've probably seen one in an antique store. Why is it a suicide nozzle? Because if you don't get about four guys holding on to the end of that thing, when that... Water comes through that hose, and it starts to accelerate and press together, and it heads off with force, and it's going somewhere. If you don't hold on to that thing, that thing will start whipping around, and it can kill you. It's a suicide nozzle. <laughs> I got trained on one of those one times, and I learned to hold on. You hold on, and you lean in, and you don't let go until you fall on your face, and you know that it's turned off, because better that than... Anyway, so 
the water gets in there and it starts crushing forward and it starts speeding up and, and it's pressed into this force and this action. And I think that's a great word to underline. If you like to underline your Bible, I think that's a good one. Controls because you, know, you can remember, that, how do you do it, Paul? Well, I'll tell you how I do it. The love of Christ, it compels me. The love of Christ constrains, it, it, it controls me, it, it, it consumes me, it acts upon me, and it pushes me forward. The love of Christ, what motivates Paul, number one, the love of Christ, it, it does all those things. And you have, if you have different translations, you will have seen those different words that I just used, constraints, compels, controls. Is Paul saying, I love Christ so much that I have to serve him? Is that what he's saying here? I believe it's true that he loves God that much, and um, you know, but that is not what he's saying here. He's not saying, when I think how much I love Christ, I've got to serve him. He's not saying that. What he's saying is stratospherically better than that. It's not Paul's love for Christ that compels him forward. It's Christ's love for Paul. You know, he's thinking. Do you know what I did? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I was actually doing? Do you know how I treated God? Do you know what I did to the believers? How I treated the followers? I should have been rejected. I should have been treated like the absolute lowest of the low. But Jesus Christ came and he intercepted my feet and he intercepted my heart and he intercepted the trajectory I was on and he took someone so low and so worthless and so undeserving, and he gave me everything. Amen. I'm getting amped up right now. I think about how much you know, he loves me in spite of myself. I mean, he's saying, I think of how much Christ loves me in spite of what I was and what I was doing. I can't help myself. I cannot help myself but to be propelled forward to serve him in some way. I can't stop it. And there's this motivation, and it, and it was a motivation for Paul that lasted his whole lifetime. And I have to admit that for me, sometimes my love of Christ, I wish I could tell you, it's on this really steep trajectory. It's been for years, and now I'm on this plateau that's higher than Mount Everest. That wouldn't be true. I can tell you that, you know, I do this. I know you don't. I can tell you the way you're looking at me. I mean, I do this. I, I, there are times... But even when I'm going through my amplitudes, ups and downs, God's love for me and for you is always on maximum. Amen. He doesn't have those ebbs and flows. You didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. <laughs> we can't lose it, though. You know, I, the scripture, but what's going to separate us from God's love? Romans 8, I love this. For, what? for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now we can lose sometimes, we can lose sight of how undeserving that we are, and then his love can come back and compel us. You know, I think of one of my favorite scriptures, Psalm one nineteen eleven says, Thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
There's my King James coming out, you know. I, I, I just love that scripture. And John, uh, John talks about, but there's a hymn, um, a hymn. I, you know, I don't like to read stuff to you, but I'm going to do that again. I did it last week. I'm going to do it again this week. Um, th- there's a hymn called The Love of God, and there's a lot of stories about this hymn, where it came from. Probably this, this verse is probably over 1,000 years old, but, um, but there's one story that says it was scratched on the walls of an asylum. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans completely dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. There's a picture. There's a picture. And John talked about this in First John, about how important it is, is for us to understand the love that God has for us. I mean, everybody needs that. I've, I've over the years, had friends, and um, some of the guys that I've been friends with have been big guys. And by big, I mean one guy I um, spent time with, he doesn't live around here anymore. He was a muscle builder. He, he did weightlifting with Rocky Balboa, you know, Sylvester Stallone. He was that kind of a bodybuilder dude. Big guy. Strong guy physically, man's man. But things happened in his life, and he absolutely, I, I watched him crumble at the knees when he needed and, and understood the love of God. And I've known men that are not necessarily weightlifters, but big character. And events would come crashing into their lives, and, and they needed, it was the love of Christ that put them back on their feet. It was, it's crazy to see that. I think, I think everybody needs this. I think everybody needs this. You know, some people act like they don't need the love of Christ or they don't need to know about it. But they need it. And every person, believe me, every person desperately needs to know the love of Christ. Every one of you. The reality of the, the love of God. How, and, and, and this was a massive component in Paul's life. There were times, you know, he was floating over sea, overnight in the sea because his ship went down. And another time he was being stoned to death outside of a city. You know, no matter what, this guy held on to this reality that God loves me. God is floating, he's freezing, he's cold. There's sharks, there's people hitting him in the head. With, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And even if I can't see it at this moment, it just assures me to know that my God loves me. So one of his motivators was the love of Christ. Let's let's keep going. Another one is in chapter, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. We'll get there in a minute. Here's the context. The Judaizers were telling people that you are not saved unless you're circumcised. So there was this big, big battle. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. And we don't have that debate raging today. Right over circumcision, but there are still a lot of people who will tell you today that you are not a Christian if you don't have certain external signs. Right, so it's the same argument with a different you know detail to it, and um, so he's facing that situation in Galatians six, starting in verse eleven. We'll start there. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That's crazy. Verse 14, here it is. 
but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So there you have it. We have the love of Christ. And now the second motivation is the cross. These are all going to be the something of Christ. And I'm going to lift that phrase straight out of scripture. Second one is the cross of Christ. We're told don't boast in religious markings or their absence. You know, don't boast in your great family or this, you know, wonderful testimony. Well, I was brought up in home and my parents, you know, love God and my grandparents are Christians. You don't boast in that. You know, or you don't boast in, I'm the first Christian in my, you don't boast in that. You don't talk about your, you don't boast my lifelong struggle with sin. And you don't boast in that. You know, people can pride themselves in their heritage. You know, I've never touched a drop of wine. Good. If that's what God has told you to do, do that. Don't boast in it. Well, other people pride themselves in the things that they've overcome. You know, I was, God snatched me out of the fire. Okay. This may be true. Don't boast in it. Don't boast in things like, you know, your formal education or, or, or your pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps or your financial success or, or the fact that you could be content with nothing. Don't boast in those things. Neither one of those is better than the other. If you want to boast in something, and other translations say, they say glory, brag about, exalt. Scripture tells us there's one thing for us to boast in. Galatians 6.14, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that's the good news, right? That's the gospel. That's, you know, if I walked out into the room right now and I handed you a microphone, could you share the gospel? Could you, could you share the good news that, that God loves sinners and and he came into this world and he lived a perfect life and he died a, a death by choice to pay the price of my sin and yours so that we can be forgiven. That's the gospel. Could you share that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but would have everlasting life? That's the gospel. You know, could you share Romans 5 that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and that's Paul. He says, I'm not boasting about anything. I will not boast about anything else. I'm not going to boast about where I live, you know, where I work. I'm going to boast about my mama, even though I love her. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to boast about what I have. I'm not going to boast about what I do. You know, you want to hear me boast about one thing? It's Jesus Christ. He's awesome. <laughs> he came in the world to save sinners. And that's the thing that frees me up, and I want to compare that to everything else, that, that one thing. And that's, that's a motivation of why Paul made it. The love of Christ and the cross of Christ. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the price of Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, what I, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. The cross, the cross, the cross. Amen, amen to the cross. So consider this. Here's things we do instead of boasting in the cross. Even Christians who glory in it. Here are the things, some couple of things we do. Sometimes we hide the cross, you know. We become ashamed. We turn away when it gets mentioned and we, um, you know, if Christ is mentioned. The second thing we do is we decorate the cross. 
We make it pretty. You know, we put flowers on it and put it on a casket and we hang it around our neck. We put gold on it and we, we decorate it. And that's, that's fine, you know. And it's hard for us to appreciate, you know, um, how shocking of a statement this was that Paul was making, you know, because we've had 20 centuries of tapestries and ornaments on walls and necklaces and, and we've kind of lost sight that this cross, it, it was a scandal. I mean, the word... It was, it, was, it was a stumbling block. It would maybe help understand the, the, the Latin word that you would find for this is crux, C-R-U-X. And today, um, crux, we use that in the English language. We use that word. It, it means the central point or it's the essential point of a discussion. It means a critical moment. It means a turning point. When you're climbing, the crux means the very highest point of your climb. And this word, the, the, this, the cross used in the days of Christ, was such a crude expression. It would be a very crude word that any respectable, you, a Roman wouldn't say it in the presence of other respectable. They wouldn't say the word. So this is Paul saying, I, I boast in the cross. That's like saying, I glory in the hangman's noose. I glory in the torture table where they stretch people and cut them to shreds. That's what this is. This is really weird. And this is, this is him saying, you know, th- that, that's, that's, what the, that's what the cross is when we take all the flowers and the gold away. It's a terrible thing. Terrible thing. And um, I, I guess I just would mention to you, um, get your heart ready for Good Friday. Get, get your heart correct about Good Friday. It's, it's really not just a check mark on a calendar. It's a big deal. And uh, I'm not saying this to recruit a lot of people. We, come, we have a Good Friday service here. And for those who, who have come to that Good Friday service in the past, it's a very meaningful time. It's, it's, um, it's Friday, April 14th, 7, 7 o'clock. Um, and it'll be an hour. And um, I don't really want to promote that here, but I'm, I'm promoting it. Here I am. I don't want to. Yeah, I do want to. Come to Good Friday. It's, it, you know... You don't get the empty tomb without the cross. And, you know, that's why we pay attention to it because in part we live in a culture that just wants to go right straight to the dessert without the vegetables and, you know, the reward without work. And so there's no Sunday without Good Friday and it was not a good day, so Good Friday service. Paul's motivation is the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, and here we are still in Galatians 6, Verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And then, what are the things that are motivating Paul? Here we go, another one. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The love of Christ, the cross of Christ, and number three now, the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word bear is actually the idea of shouldering up, you know. It'd be like, you know, I don't want to embarrass Eric, but if he came up here, it'd be like me grabbing his arm, putting it around my neck and lifting and taking weight, carrying whatever weight he's carrying, helping him with that. It's like, um, you know, something so heavy, he can't carry it on his own, and I'm going to come alongside and come under that and help him carry the load. That's, that's what that word bear means. You get that picture, you know, because... Listen, loved ones, there is not a better picture in all of Scripture of how we're supposed to relate to each other than that. Get your shoulder under another Christian and help them carry the load. 
Help them do that. And if you ask yourselves, why did Paul go all over Asia and lay his life down time and time again to reach people and to win them and to, to disciple them? There's why. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Oh, great question. Thank you for asking that. You know, Jesus said a lot of stuff, right? He said a lot of things. But there's only one thing he said in Scripture that's like this. You, know, you and I would think about the law. We think about the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. That's the law, right? Did Jesus? He did. Okay, so John 13. Here are the words of Jesus. He's talking, verse 34. A new commandment I give you. What? 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 A new one? Everybody get your pen ready because Jesus is talking a new commandment I give to you. He says, you're not going to find this in the Old Testament. By the way, I didn't come to cancel out the, the law. I came to fulfill it. Okay? So here's a new one. Okay, you got my attention, Jesus. I'm all ready. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And this is a big deal. Church, this is our good thing. This is, this is you know, when we're good at this, watch out. If we're not good at this, then the church is miserably failing. This is, this is really, this, this is supposed to be the thing you cannot get at the mall. This is supposed to be the thing that you can't get by joining a softball team or a book club. Those things can have love there. But, but this, this, this love, of, of, it's supposed to be, verse 35, I'm, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus wants us to know, wants people to know we're his disciples. And this is how they're going to know. Now, Paul, this was kind of a big deal to him because he was like, if you read him carefully, he always kind of felt, I think, a little bit strange because, you know, I'm kind of like an apostle now, but I was used to be, I used to killing all these other guys, you know? I mean, I want to take just a minute and, um, you know, I'm, I have, this is a rabbit trail. I want to take just a minute on this rabbit trail. You know, he's, he's, he's an apostle and, um, what is an apostle? Well, Ephesians 2.20 tells us that apostles were basically the, the, the foundation of the church. And I, I don't believe, now I know other people might believe differently, so I'm t- I, I preface, I don't believe this, that, um, that there are apostles today. You can believe differently, and we can still love each other and go to church together, okay? But I'm just telling you my belief, based on my understanding of the word, there are no apostles today. And I'm not objecting to somebody else using that title, Literally, the word apostle means one sent, okay? And I believe I was sent to pastor this church, but I would never use the word apostle to describe me or my ministry. That is so far from the truth. That I'm, okay, I don't believe, um, you know, the, but I, and I believe that the, apostle, the, the office of apostle is closed today. I don't believe we see them. I think there are some imitators out there, but not real ones. Here's, here's what, it w- what it took to be considered an apostle. They were people who literally saw and witnessed, I witnessed the ministry of Jesus. They either wrote or participated in contributing to the writing of scripture. And pretty much they all could do miracles on command. I don't see that going on today. I see miracles today. I see the Lord healing people. I see those kinds of things, but it's different. I just don't believe that there today are any human beings in that category. It was an incredible thing to be an apostle, and Paul was one of them. And he always, you know, these were, this was something that I believe God gave to the church in the time after Jesus went to heaven, but before the scripture was completed. And, and Paul always felt like the odd man out. 
Why? Well, he wasn't in the upper room. He didn't get to walk around with Jesus while he was shaping these guys. You know, when they were starting the church, he was out killing Christians. <laughs> he felt odd man out because of that. And he wasn't even there. When all of the rest were with Jesus in the room where he says, a new commandment I give to you. He wasn't even there. So it's not hard to figure out why this was a big deal to him. I'm an apostle, but I'm kind of like this outsider coming in. And so when he talks about how the world will know you're my disciples, but you love one another, he took that really, really seriously. You know, He's thinking to himself, I know what I was before I met him on the road. And I may have gotten off to a slow start, but I am not going to drop the ball now. This guy's determined. And, and as, as committed as the Apostle Paul was to the truth, I would suggest to you that if you could meet him, you could probably never in your life meet another person more loving than the Apostle Paul. I really believe that. I mean, his heart for people, he had this insatiable desire to give to people, to help people and to minister to people. And I think we should all aspire to that. And I'm considering this, and I have this rhetorical question. Don't answer this out loud. But my question is, how are we doing on this topic as a church? How are we doing? It's a legitimate question. How are we doing at loving? Love means you before me. How are we doing as a church with loving each other, with forbearing each other, with, you know, forgiving and helping one another? I, I, I'm not correcting you, by the way. I just think it's a good question for us to ask. I'm proud of you and I love you. And I think you're doing great. But I still think we should ask the question because I don't think we've arrived. <laughs> And I have, you know, in my role of leadership over the years, I've had some really uncomfortable conversations sometimes with people, um, members of, loved members of the church family. And I've had to go to them at times and say, hey, um, someone that, that the church frankly had really failed them and hurt them and say, hey, um, I am so sorry for what happened. I'm so sorry for what was communicated. I'm so sorry for what didn't happen that should have or the different circumstances that have happened. And, um, you know, but, but God put you on my heart and we love you and we want you and you're a part of us and we need you with us. And I've seen people respond to those words with incredible humility and grace. And I've also seen people so hurt and broken that it didn't come out that way. I mean, um, I, I think of one gentleman that... Um, I think I've been trying to apologize how the church failed him for one guy. I, can, I probably have been working on that for 10 years. He's not in the church right now. And I don't know where Pastor Seth is, but Pastor Seth has been helping me with this particular guy for the last year or so. And it seems like we're swinging the axe, but no chips are flying, and there's a hardness there. And he just, and, um, but this is how the Lord says... The world will know we're by loving one, and we're trying to love this guy back. And there are other people that that um, that we, you know, there are other circumstances where people need to be here and want to be here, but they can't be here because there's something broken in their heart. Listen to me. Every 
person in this church matters. Every single one of you matters. But if you hide yourself, you know, on the fringes, if, if nobody knows you, if you if you're not connected, you will never experience that love that I'm talking about that's present here. And I'm telling you, it is present here. I mean, I, I, I've had people tell us, you know, and I'm, some of you have heard this because you've told me, I've had people say, when, you know, when I walked in this place, I could sense the love of God. Church, we cannot fail at this. This is something we just can't fail in. I mean, we, we just don't want to come up short. So, so I'm just asking you to think this through for us to commit ourselves once again and fresh to saying, you know, we're going to spend ourselves causing people to know that they are loved so that the world will know we're Christ's disciples. And I'm not saying this to you by way of correction at all. I don't see, I don't see you failing in this. I just want us to do more. I just want us to do better. I want every person who walks in here, visitors to feel like, wow, they don't know me, but I can sense they care about me. Because we do. Let them know. <laughs> Figure out a way to do it. Let them know. Starts out, if I smile, I know I should smile more. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those temperaments. My wife's laughing at me. I, I'm one of those temperaments. I think I'm smiling all the time when I'm like this. I am smiling on the inside. doesn't matter if it doesn't make it to your face. Tell your heart to tell your mouth. Okay, that's me talking to myself. So, okay. Um, the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the law of Christ. Number four, the day of Christ. This might have been Paul's absolute top motivation. Second um, Corinthians 5.10, he says, he says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. For we must all appear. So how many followers of Christ are going to be there? I want this one out loud. All, right, okay, all. I know some of you are probably kind of shy. And you're thinking, well, I, just, I, just, I might go to that. You'll be there. <laughs> you will. Okay, uh, okay, Terry, I'll go, but I'm, I'm not going to talk. Yeah, you're going to talk. <laughs> In fact, you're going to give a speech. I mean, okay, some of you are saying, well, I, I, okay, but I'm really not an upfront person. I'll probably just... Let my wife handle that. Well, you should stop doing that now, but she's not going to do that for you then. <laughs> you know, and um, you're going to be speaking. We will all be giving an answer and speaking for ourselves. You know, and here's the thing. If you don't make it to this, that is a way, way worse situation. You know, but if you're actually there, if you're a genuine follower He's going to say things to you along the lines of, hey, here's what I gave you. You know, what did you do with what I gave you? This is how much time you got. This is how much talent you have. These are the opportunities. What did you do with it? Now, now, maybe you're thinking right now, hey, wait a minute. I thought we were forgiven, right, of our sins, right? Okay, yes, okay, you are forgiven of your sins. This is not about your sins, this meaning is not about your sins. This is not about the, the judgment seat of Christ. What we account for at the judgment seat of Christ is right there in the text, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So you're going to account for the choices that you've made to optimize your life for Christ. You know, Who did you talk to? Where did you serve? 
What'd you do? How'd you give? The, all these things that Christians have to account to for the master, to the master, for the, the things we can't. And this is a massive, massive thing that motivates the Apostle Paul. You know, there's, there's only one day I'm thinking about. It's not yesterday. It's not today. It's not tomorrow. But somewhere down the road, it's on the calendar. I don't know how many pages I got to flip. It's circled in red. And on that day, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a big appointment day. You can't cancel it, can't defer it, can't not show up. Here are some... Um, now, I'm going to fly through this, and uh, I, there wasn't, isn't going to be a room on, this, on the board for all of the full scriptures, so I just gave you the addresses. If you care enough, you can jot them down, because I'm going to read them off to you real fast. But here are some comments, one-liners that Paul, where he referenced the day. There's a lot more. This is just cherry-picking, okay? Romans 2, 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for, against yourself for that day. Romans 2.16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men. Romans 13.12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Romans 13.13. 13. Let us behave properly as in the day. 1 Corinthians 1.8. Jesus will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day. 3.13. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 1 Corinthians 5, 5. I decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day. That sounds hard, but it's loving. Ephesians 4, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.10. You may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Philippians 2.16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 and 4. For you yourselves know the know that the full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. And this is an encouragement to you. It basically says this. Loved ones, don't be shaken. Be reassured. Look forward to the day because it's a good day. It's a good day. Paul's last letters that he wrote were to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and, and, and he, it was near the end of his life, and you know, he was thinking about the day. And I love this, and the next couple are a couple of my absolute favorite verses, 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, I also suffered these things, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So Paul was waiting for the day. He's waiting. We wait for the day. We look to the day. It's coming. The day is coming. And then 2 Timothy 4, 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. How about the day? It's coming. It's coming. And this was a massive motivator in Paul's life, you know. I, I think he's thinking, you know, 
I was really a mess. I was really messed up the first time I met him. But the second time, I am going to be ready for that. And he's, he's, he's going to be ready the next time he stands. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, this was on his mind. He was living for that day. And I'm telling you this, that day's coming. It's coming. Paul's going to be there. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. <laughs> the day of Christ. What a great motivator. Okay, so the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the law, the day of Christ. And then the last one is the word of Christ. This one's in Colossians 3, starting in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul, Paul wrote so much um, of the New Testament. I mean, okay, here comes the geek in me again. I mean, if you look at the New Testament in terms of the total number of words, Luke wrote the most, 27%. About 38,000 words Luke wrote. They were mostly stories, good stuff, stories. Paul came in second, you know, 23%, about 32,000 words. But in terms of writing doctrine, theology, by far, Paul gave us the most. I mean, it wasn't even close. More than Peter, more than Paul, more than anybody, it all came through the Apostle Paul. And God was forming this guy's mind while he was still a Pharisee, okay? He was, it was... He was a brilliant man, and, and God used that mind to pass the scriptures through to us. And here's something nobody else gave to the church, a view about scriptures um, that Paul gave to the church. And we see this in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 16. He says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we're not wasting our time here. There's, there's something to be gained here. Okay, it, it, it's it, it's it's the driving force behind you know, what we do as a church, that all scripture was given by God and it's profitable. Profitable for what? Okay. For doctrine, for reproof. You know what reproof is. Reproof is, hey, knock that off. <laughs> Terry. We used to have a house with um, these vents between the first floor and my sister Shelly and I would make a lot of noise in the morning early. And my dad, I could hear him from his bedroom, would come down through the heat vent. Terry, go back to bed. It's four in the morning. I didn't know what that meant. Reproof. <laughs> Knock it off. For reproof, for correction. I mean, how many of us need some correction every once in a while? <laughs> I mean, we stray from God's word and, and it gets us, that correction puts us back on course. For instruction, in righteousness. This is what I love about the Bible. It doesn't just tell us what to do, but it tells us how to do it. Instructions in righteousness. It's really good. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're one of those people who grew up with, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. But never a, here's how you do it. This has been a whole how to do it message. You know, how do you stay fired up about your faith? And I'm kind of handing over some really big motivators here. <laughs> and maybe you've lost sight of how unforgivable at one point you really were. And God's grace conquered that, and God's grace overcame that, and He claimed your heart. And the love He showed for you and for me, it should start something incredible it should stir up something fresh and new when you remember those things. The love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the law of Christ, 
you know, caring for each other, how important that is. The day of Christ, it's what he was living for, and then the word of Christ. And I don't know anything else that should fire up our faith more than the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we consider, and in some cases we hold your word in our hands,